Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR. It's Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Next up, the Australian actor Sarah Snook. Odds are you know Sarah for her role on HBO's Succession, one of the most acclaimed TV dramas in the last decade. Sarah plays Siobhan Roy, but to her friends and family, it's just Shiv. Shiv, like the sharp thing you would use to gut your enemy. Succession is a show about, well, it's about succession. The Roy family owns a giant conservative media conglomerate called Waystar Royco. The family's patriarch, Logan Roy, is aging and can't run the company forever. So the question is, who will take over? And what are they willing to do to be that person? Shiv, at first, is happy to let her brothers fight it out. Her husband, Tom, works for the company, but she mostly works in politics, managing campaigns for progressive candidates. As long as she can keep her giant Manhattan apartment, she can manage things on her own just fine. Thank you very much. But like pretty much every character on Succession, it doesn't take long for the cracks to show. She worries that her influence in her family is the only thing that matters to her career. She asks her husband for an open marriage literally on their wedding night. Linda Holmes, the terrific host of NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour, talked with Sarah about what it's like to play one of the most fascinating, complex, and confounding characters on television today. But before we get into that, let's take a listen to a clip from the show. As I said earlier, Shiv spends most of the first season kind of above the fray, distancing herself from the company. But then at the beginning of season two, her dad offers her the top job. Dad, I don't think so. Really? Because if there's really no hope of you coming in, I'd rather cash out. Look, if this is the way that we're having this conversation anyway, then yeah, fine, sell. Fine. I'll do it. Right now, I'll tweet the market's a move, and that'll be that. Bull. You don't care if I sell? Don't be a jerk, Dad. You want to do it? Yes. Yes. Sarah Snook, welcome to Bullseye. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. What a great clip. I want to come back to that scene in a little bit. But first, I think think you're you're uh, obligated to start every conversation right now with uh, how, how are things? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, it's good. I mean, I'm good. It's um, it's it's a, a tough time for everybody in, in a lot of ways. But everybody that I speak to, no matter what industry, it seems is like really of purposefully finding like the optimism and the positivity in the times. And that's like, what a gift yeah, you know, for us all to be doing that, for us yeah. still to have the capacity to do that. It must have seemed like a good idea at the time to connect yourself to United States entertainment industry. <laughs> <laughs> I want to just to take a moment for people who are currently uh, shocked to find out that you are Australian and in Australia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get it, right? Yeah. People- <laughs> People, people may not know. Is it better over there? Are you less locked down over there than we are over here? Yeah. Do you know what? It's actually, it's not in some ways, but our outcomes at the moment, like our numbers and stats at the moment are better. So it's a, it's a very strange time because I hear from my friends and they're out 
in the states and they've you know there's less of a lockdown in some ways but the numbers are much higher we just got post we had just had postcode lockdown here yesterday in um, melbourne which is sort of taking a step backwards for an increase in numbers which internationally is not super large but for australia they don't feel comfortable with it which i'm fine with you know yeah um well, you know, maybe the rest of the cast for your next season can just come to you and it can be the it can be the Australian <laughs> season. They'll go to yeah. a big ranch. It'll yeah. be an American television version of Australia, so it'll have all the koalas and kangaroos and yeah, all that good stuff. Yeah, and all, like, every Australian actor in it completely, like, just as a random person at the cafe. Like, Margot Robbie just lives down there <laughs> exactly. and Russell Crowe is the owner of the ranch and they're all mates. So let's talk a little bit about where you are in the production. Where were you in the production cycle when everything shut down? For people who don't know, you, you've completed two seasons, doing a third season. Where where were you in all of that? We were just about to start up again. We were meant to start up in uh, April. And yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in some ways, great because we weren't, we hadn't already started in a in a sort of hard to pull apart way and hard to right. sort of back out way. I have a friend who had just flown to Toronto to start something the following day and then two days later had to fly back. Yeah. So that I think would be really um, heartbreaking for that team, particularly having gone through all the pre-production and, and all of that. And they'll begin at some point again, but yeah. yeah. And, and so will we, but it just, you know, once it's safe to do so. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about Shiv. Did you go through, uh, for people who aren't familiar with Shiv, her name is Siobhan, but she's always called Shiv, except perhaps by her father, (laughs) named after a knife, which is not terribly subtle, but great, (laughs) I think, personally. Yeah. Yeah. When we first got together doing the pilot, we were like, we were like, uh, oh, wow, we didn't realize it's like Roman, Shiv. Connor. Yeah. Con, Connor, Shiv, Siobhan. Kendall. Uh, Roman, you know, that's like angry. But then, and Kendall, like, Kendall, Kendall, Ken. Oh, knowledge, like wisdom. <laughs> I don't know if that was on purpose, but. It's a great, it's a great set of names. Did you, did you go through a, a kind of a normal audition process for, for Shiv? Um, in, in, somewhat, yes. I uh, got the, uh, self-taped from Australia. And so I um, uh, put something down with my friend uh, at home and was very reticent to do so because I thought, you know, it was out of my league and out of um, possibility of, of me getting it. So I'm, you know, and uh, endlessly grateful to my friend for making me put the tape down. Um, but then, yeah, th- they asked if I would come over to do a final self tape, sorry, final um, screen test in, in the States. And yeah, did it that way. Why didn't you think you would get it? Because uh, I'm just so not, I'm me personally as Sarah is so far from Shiv Roy that I w- was in this. I don't know how to expand myself to fit that. I don't know if I know what that infinite wealth kind of person is like. I don't know if I like that person. Um, right. I don't. Yeah, it just wasn't in my. I didn't feel like it was comfortably in my wheelhouse. I was just being chicken, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just grow up, Sarah. In the first season, it often seemed like Shiv was the most normal of her siblings. She's got her brother, Kendall, who is kind of a collapsing mess in the first season. Her brother, Roman, is uh, just kind of a dirtball in a lot of ways. Just just really, really, really kind of a yeah. dirtball. Yeah, yeah. And her brother, Connor, 
is a weirdo living out in the desert. And she sort of seems like the most healthy person. She's in politics instead of business. What is it like to be in an ensemble where you're maybe playing the closest thing to a normal, healthy person with all these very big kind of nutty things going on all around? It it, it was difficult at first because, like in comedy, you have the kind of the buffoon and then the kind of quote unquote like the straight guy like the person the fall guy the person who's right not the fall guy he's the person well they're the person who um they remain the audience's in right i guess sure. the, the touchstone and i felt like sometimes i had to be that and yet wanted to be able to lean into or hide behind comedy or all the sort of like the character points that they had that felt bigger that they had to obviously fill and make realistic, but I didn't feel like I had that. So I, I wondered what my point was, I guess. Like, what, what's she doing there? Um, and then realized that it is so much about Shiv is, is observation and watching and being that kind of feline thing going on in the corner, just like mm-hmm. waiting to pounce at the right point. Yeah. And she was, she did always have going for her, I think in terms of, particularly in terms of comedy, her marriage, because you can't <laughs> talk about... You can't talk about Shiv and not talk about Tom. Shiv's husband is, how do we describe Tom? Played by the great Matthew McFadden. How do we play? How do we describe Tom? Well, Tom is a sycophantic little gnat in a way. Like he's just, he's, he's this, he's, he's, there's so much about him that is slimy and wormy and small. And yet it's in the outward casing of Matthew McFadden, which is, Charming, handsome, beautiful, strong, tall, like all those kinds of leading man qualities. And yet right. the character is the opposite in some ways, which I I love because he's just such a, you know, he's a brilliant actor. And, and for him, getting a chance to play something so different from what he usually would be cast in or could play, quite, you know, quite easily. Yeah, it's a lot more interesting to sink your teeth into. And yeah. Tom... I think I think one of the clearest things that that occurred to us in second season was that obviously Tom is a bully because he bullies uh, Greg, and then okay, well bullies usually are being bullied by someone else at home. Okay, well that's probably Shiv. <laughs> All right, well we'll forgive we'll forgive Tom because he's being bullied by Shiv, and sure. then you're like, well Shiv's being bullied by Logan, really. So we'll forgive. Give Shiv that, and then it just goes up the chain. Everyone yeah. just would be nice to each other, but that's not good TV. <laughs> There's always a delight to me in finding out that people I think of as really good, like wonderful dramatic actors, are are that funny. Yeah, because Tom, Tom to me is such a he's such a funny character, and I think Shiv again. You know, often it's not explicit that she's explicitly hilarious in these scenes with Tom, but the scenes are wonderfully funny. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and so so much about the writers, they calibrate that relationship so well in that uh, it has to still, yes, it is funny and yes, it is kind of like, why is Shiv with Tom? Mm-hmm. But it still has to be real. Like we still have to believe, though it's unbelievable, we still have to right. believe it somehow. Right, for sure. So when we talk about comedy, I don't know if Australian audiences are like this at all, but American audiences are often kind of obsessed with the idea that actors improvise everything and are kind of (laughs) obsessed with the idea that if it seems natural and funny and conversational, the actors must have made it up on the Mm, spot. mm, Um, mm. But as I understand it, you do do some improvising on on Succession. 
We do, we do, but it would be a great disservice and an untruth to 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 say that it's not written supremely well, you know? Like yeah. those writers work for months and then we come in and say, yo, we just improvise a lot. And <laughs> the writers are like, oh my God. No, you don't. We do. Where but do you do where do you do the most of that kind of work? It seems to be um bookenders. Like so for instance, if we entered a scene and there was like the hellos that would happen at the beginning of a dinner. All of that, the writers are not going to write that in in sort of very very specific moments because that's the 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 thing that fills the atmosphere around. Right. Yes, there might be an amazing line that Kieran says because he's a very funny man. He might say something that's outrageous that <laughs> just makes sense for Roman to have said then, and that might make the edit. And, you know, you're using all the colors from the from the palette. And you have to kind of fill the out the outside details as well. And you know, the writers create this really uh, tight scaffolding that then you can launch around, I guess. And if improvising comes from it, it's only because they gave you the clues of where to go in the first place. We'll wrap up with Sarah Snook in just a minute. When we come back from a quick break, she'll tell us what she hopes Shiv will get to do in Succession's third season. It's Bullseye for MaximumFun.org and NPR. What do you do when you have too many pickles in Alaska and not enough pancake syrup in New Jersey? On the next episode of Planet Money's Summer School, we send supply and demand to the rescue. It's the economics education you always wanted but never got around to. Every Wednesday, listen now to Planet Money from NPR. Welcome back to Bullseye. I'm Jesse Thorne. Right now, we're listening to Linda Holmes' interview with Sarah Snook. Sarah plays Shiv on the TV drama Succession. The show's first two seasons are streaming now on HBO. Let's get back into the conversation. So Shiv's first season kind of builds up to her wedding, which is this very kind of beautiful, theoretically wonderful, special, (coughs) elegant affair. And then Uh you leave Shiv, and when we come back, they've they've among other things, really changed the visual presentation of Shiv between seasons. Um, uh, yeah. yeah. They gave you the the haircut heard around the world, I think, <laughs> to the kind of the sleek bob of the, the uh, professionally tough woman and changed the wardrobe a lot. Did that change what it felt like to be Shiv? Definitely. Uh, definitely. And that sort of the confluence of the writing focusing more on what Shiv's sort of ambitious side within family structure. Well, yes, there, there that- is the writing. There is the writing, too, yeah. in addition to the hair and pants. <laughs> no, but the embodiment, which, which the, you know, hair, hair and costume knew. So they um, wanted to make sure that that was being reflected visually. And that, as an actor, that helps enormously because you feel like you're really sitting inside the character then. It's not... Um, not so much of a bridge to cross or between you. But, I mean, I feel like Shiv is one of those people who she's a box ticker. Uh, you know, she's sort of got her five-year plan, her ten-year plan, her three-month plan, <laughs> like weekly planner, uh-huh. um, and all the goals that she's going to achieve within that. And box ticking in a way is like, right, find the find the person who – in some ways, yes, looks good on paper, but also looks good in photographs um, to marry. Yes, he's a bit of a d- but I can control him and he'll, he'll never, you know, I think Logan's very accurate in Seven when he says you'll marry a man fathoms beneath you because you're afraid, afraid to fail. That's, oof, that cuts deep. Uh-huh. There's a truth to that, but it doesn't mean that they don't love each other and have a, have a way in which they um, relate that is 
that is meaningful between them. Yeah. Yeah. And and then once the wedding's done, it's like, right. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Moving on. Done. I've asked myself so many times whether I think Shiv loves him. Mm. But you think Shiv loves him. Yeah, I do. And I, in her own way, I think. I was going to say in the Shiv way. Yeah, I think what's the way of like, you know, Byron or or Keats or some sort of like romantic high romance poet. No, she doesn't. And no, she doesn't because she probably would never know how to feel that love because that's so vulnerable and risky. And I don't think the Roys are naturally um, – there's a softness and a gentleness to that kind of love. And so I think – she's a kind of person who 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 loves in the way that she decides what love is do you know uh-huh. not in the the, the room and even seeing it on on because you you know you'd be exposed to seeing it in films and and seeing you know different versions of love it's a bit like well the, the looking down upon that kind and and not seeing it as as useful i guess right <laughs> Yeah, it's transactional for her. Yeah, right? it's, it's it's interesting too because we we come here back to the clip that we played at the top of the show in which Shiv is offered the opportunity to take over the company by her father. If you believe him, she's being offered the chance to take over the company. If you don't believe him, which I never believe him, then it's something <laughs> something else entirely is happening. But she really kind of jumps in and says, yes, I want to do this. Whereas in the Mm. first season, as we talked about, she had kind of been in politics. She didn't seem, she seemed like she was trying to kind of stay away from the family business. Did you feel like that was a big change for her? Or do you think the seeds of that, as you understood that character, were always present for her to want to then reach out and be part of the company? Yeah, I think it's both, to be honest. I think we're really good as humans at at deceiving ourselves, like the things that we can hide from ourselves, even in plain sight. Like you could know something about yourself or know something about what you want, but not really admit it to yourself until it's right there in front of you. And if you don't take this chance now, then it'll never happen again. I think uh, her, in terms of her ambition of politics, yes, that's real. And yes, that's the thing that she had wanted to do and needed to do to prove her own worth to herself as well as to her family. But the moment that it gets offered that she could beat her brothers, she could beat the top of the, the family, like she could, there's, there's, there's an optic side of, of, of being in that family and at the top of that family in the CEO sort of position that is never going to be un, un, unseen by Shiv the, you know, her entire life. Like back right. as a seven-year-old, as a 10-year-old as a growing yeah. up, it would be that's the thing to aim for. But if I don't think I'm going to get there, I'm not going to reduce myself by aiming for it and failing. I'm going to go somewhere else. Right. And that's like I I love that. And, and you know, and Jesse said in the first season there was a scene that came up and he was like uh, – I went up to him afterwards and was like, do you think that Shiv wants – like, this doesn't seem to make sense. Doesn't Shiv want to be the top dog, like top job, top dog kind of thing? And he goes, no, I don't think so. <laughs> huh. And he may well have known what mm-hmm. he wanted to do for season two. Mm-hmm. But that's genius to tell me that because right. – because it hides it from myself even. There's no, right. like, I'm playing, like, you know, an eyebrow going up here exactly. or doing something like that. It's, like, it's so hidden in prismatic yeah. kind of form. Like, yeah. we are as humans doing that. Yeah. That when it comes out, it's just, yeah. Yeah, because you don't, you, he wouldn't want you to be playing to it too much because that's why it surprises 
suckers like me because you're so surprised by it when she does it (laughs) and suckers like me so when he says it it's like (gasps) and you have to follow what the scene says and it seems that she's into this so all right i guess we're going there yeah make it make sense I also I want to talk about the the last episode of the second season, which is, of course, where we left these characters, family empire in crisis. The patriarch Logan was looking for someone who could publicly take the fall. He referred to that lovingly as a a, a skull to wave um, (laughs) and potentially could wind up in the in legal trouble. The family goes off on a yacht. They have maybe the world's worst brunch where they discuss at length. Who is going to be this, this, oh, God, me too. I call it the Roy family murder breakfast. Um, <laughs> the blood sacrifice. There's this moment when Shiv's brother, Roman, suggests that they give up Tom. And Shiv sort of goes along saying right in front of her husband that he does make a kind of a compelling uh, patsy. And they don't really reach a decision at that time. But later, when Shiv and Tom are alone, he tells her that because of that conversation, as well as for some other reasons, he's not... Uh, feeling very confident about their marriage, and she's just devastated. And to me, that's such a curious combination of scenes because she's so cold to him at the at the murder mm. breakfast, and then mm. she's so wounded that he seems to be unhappy. How do you interpret that a, a turn like that between that pair of scenes? Because I know you can either think about it in terms of I want to get at what the writers intend to be going on with Shiv. Mm. Or you can think about it in terms of what do I think as the actor who knows Shiv perhaps the best thinks is going on with Shiv. Is it both? Is it more one than the other? Because to me, that's a really, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what was going on with Shiv. (laughs) I think what I really like about how the writers create is that nothing is ever binary or set in stone. It's all very grayscale in a lot of ways. There's, there's potential for it to go one way or the other or for things to be two things at once. And for Shiv in in that, I think, again, she's so deceptive to herself even that she can be so unfeeling and unkind and then be struck by um, a real moment, by a real um, vulnerability from her husband that cracks her open again and goes – Hey, 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 remember you're human. <laughs> remember, you know, not everything is a game. Not everything is transactional. Not everything is, you know, in pursuit of a goal like you've been taught. Remember that these are your two humans in a marriage. And there's, I think, that for me made me realize how much she needs him, but how much that scares her and how how well she's able to hide that from herself. I think um, hearing that she does make somebody so unhappy that they could <laughs> leave. Yeah. Is so like, ah, oh, I mean, yeah. I don't think she's ever been dumped. You know, I don't think she's, she's, she's that woman who's never been dumped. And if she was, she would say that, well, she's been cheating on him for years, like weeks. Um, You know, like she would, right. she would find a way to get the power back. And in that it's so exposing and so simple. Like I, the happy I feel the sad I'd feel without you is, is you know, worse than – is not as bad as the sad I feel with you. Ouch. I want to – before we let you go, I want to talk about one more. I want to play one more clip, which is also Shiv and Logan. This is um, after, as we just talked about, the Shiv is very cold to Tom, but then she feels very bad about Tom uh, potentially wanting to leave her. 
And she has a conversation with her father because he is still throwing around the idea of potentially having Tom be the, uh, I don't know, the one who takes the fall. And Shiv here is absolutely at a crossroads and she uh, talks about uh, what they're going to do with Logan, played, of course, by the great Brian Cox. Let's play the clip. I just think that uh, Tom doesn't deserve it. And uh, it doesn't work for the rest of the world. I don't. So, what do you think? Uh, it's the sort of tough choice people need to be able to make. People who would be very senior people. I can't choose that. No. No. Just not, uh, just not Tom. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I mean, oh, so bad. Because he's really directly asking her to be less human in order to be successful in business. Uh-huh. I would hope that society, as a general rule, is moving to being more human in to be successful in business. I mean, for instance, like, or in policy and government, Jacinda Ardern, her approach to this moment right now would be, I would say, more human and more sort of understanding of humanity, society, and that kind, you know, being maternal has been thrown around in that sort of sense mm-hmm. that and and what is the outcome there's there's been a lot more safety there's been a lot more sort of okay let's let's get back into uh return to work faster mm-hmm. i would hope that <laughs> business is sort of moving towards that but this is like there is direct evidence in in coming from logan roy of how otherwise business has operated in you know for the last however many years what do you hope to be able to get to do in season three? Oof. I Go outside. No. <laughs> Go outside. I just get to I just hope to get to do season three. I mean, mm-hmm. we're doing it. We just Yeah, it's just like everybody else. When? I I don't know. I've always been a um I like how they blindside the characters a bit and in such a way that like reveals something that was always there. So I guess I want to see Shiv put into positions where she's um, uncomfortable, uh, where she has to kind of deal with the potential volatility of herself again, um, where she's out of control because she's so good at being in control. Maybe maybe Tom having something, I don't know, that she's challenged by. No, no, no. Yeah, I just I do love playing her because um, it's such a, um, a broad range of things that you get to do. And get to fold it into like the reality of who she always has been, but you just didn't know uh, know yet. Well, Sarah Snook, this has been so much fun. Uh, Succession <laughs> is available HBO, HBO Max, all of your streaming options. You can buy it, you can rent it. You got to catch up with it. It's a lot of fun. Succession, Sarah Snook. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Sarah Snook. Interviewed by the one and only Linda Holmes. You can stream both seasons of Succession right now on HBO. It is a hilarious, devastating program. That's the end of another episode of Bullseye. Bullseye is produced out of the homes of myself and the staff of Maximum Fun in and around greater Los Angeles, California. 
where, at least here at my house, a multi-day project is underway to create a cake with a Sharknado theme. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our producer is Kevin Ferguson. Jesus Ambrosio and Jordan Cowling are our associate producers. We get help from Casey O'Brien. Our interstitial music is by Dan Wally, also known as DJW. Dan was kind enough to bring me some uh, pastrami and corned beef from Langer's Delicatessen. I was very grateful for that. Thank you, Dan. Our theme song is by The Go Team, thanks to them and their label Memphis Industries for letting us use it. Just the other day, someone on Twitter said, Hey, Jesse, have you listened to The Go Team's albums? They're really great. Yes, I've been saying that on this show. The Go Team have several really great albums that you should totally check out. You can also keep up with our show on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Just search for Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. And I think that's about it. Just remember, all great radio hosts have a signature sign-off. Bullseye with Jesse Thorne is a production of MaximumFun.org and is distributed by NPR.